A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 81 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're building a marketing machine. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Prism HR CMO Scott Horn is back in to continue our chat about marketing a high growth company. We'll get to that chat in just a moment. Next time, Angel Hollis Vaccaro of Hux by Deloitte will be here to deconstruct the Beyond Marketing Experience Reimagined report that her firm released recently. And in the weeks ahead, we'll have A.J. Wilcox on social media, Joe Martin on video, Mitch Duckler on differentiating your brand, and Steve Rondazzo on experiences. Lots more in store, so stay tuned. I want to invite you to have a listen to my other venture, the innovation podcast, the iPod with Garnett Harriman. Lots of fun stuff happening over there. Head over to the innovationpodcast.co to tune in. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, back to Scott Horn. Scott is CMO at Prism HR. In the first part of our chat, we looked at how he approached his new job and interviewed candidates. Now we get a bit deeper. How does he run the marketing machine? He uses OKRs, a term that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Plus, we chat about the creative side of marketing and a possible brand refresh for Prism HR. Then we look at how the CMO role is evolving and get Scott's perspective on trends he's following. Let's get to it. So what are the key ingredients in a smooth running marketing machine, do you think? So my opinion is, I think, first of all, you have to have clarity at both the team and individual level on what the goals are. And, you know, the old thing about smart metrics, specific measurable, etc. You need to have both at a team level and cascaded down through the team. You, know, you want every person on the team to go, I can look at my one sheet of metrics. And some people like to use, I like them, OKRs. Yeah. You know, so you see a lot of OKRs. No, we've talked a lot about on, that on the podcast. Yeah, I like OKRs. You can do metrics. I have do. some nightmares about OKRs. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into that yeah, in a we, we should. We, we should actually talk. So, but you want everybody to say at an individual level, I can see what I'm doing and it relates to both the team and the company. That's the first thing. Second, you need a strong management team. You've got to hold your managers account. I mean, managers' jobs are to teach. You know, is you know one of the things, and I guilty as charged. Early in my career, I was like, "Wow, I get to be a manager. This is cool. I get to delegate stuff." No, I got no, an office. No, exactly. And what you find when you become managers, you actually have less time. And the only way you get more time back is you got to make the people around you better. 
That's the only way, otherwise you're dead. So I think that's, you know, so I look at several things. Does everybody know their objectives? Are managers having one-on-ones? How are we doing in hiring people? Then at a, you know, kind of business level, do we understand our contributions to the sales pipeline? Like, so whether it's appointments, whether it's sales accepted lead, what percentage is coming through marketing? You know, and, and marketing, you can have literally an infinite amount of data. I mean, it, it literally is ridiculous. Um, there's something like 5,000 plus MarTech tools. We're starting to build our marketing tech stack out. So it's what you pay attention to. You use a few less than 5,000. Yeah, we, we use a few. Well, my last company, we used probably 10, 15. Right. But then if you go talk to the web guy, it's probably five more. In fact, we were having a funny conversation with our uh, CEO and uh, senior leadership team meeting. And I may have been the one to ask the question, but it's like, how many applications do you think we have in the company? And, you know, I think the comment came up was, oh, probably 30. I have at least 25, 30 in my group alone. The, uh, my development peer who he's like, yeah, I've got X, Y. I mean, I've got at least 20. Product management has another. So it's, you know, making the systems work. Yeah. Yeah. So you you, got to look at, okay, what set of data do we care about? My data is usually around revenue. I care about revenue. How are we contributing to revenue? Sales come with leads. Then the last thing I look at is, do we have the ability to look at the data on a regular basis? You know, for example, one of the things I always ask people is, do you understand who's going to capture the baseline metric, who's responsible for it, and what that baseline metric is. You know, I have a lot of people over the course of my career come to me, well, we should measure X. I'm like, great, what is, what is that X today? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, let's go figure that out first. Figure out both who's going to capture it, where you're going to capture it from, and what the frequency of capturing it right. before we actually put on a scorecard yep. on something. So those are the things I look at. I mean, you look at things like, you know, we haven't talked a lot about for example, you're doing creativity. I mean, we haven't talked about the creative side of marketing at all. I mean, one of the things we're looking at is we are looking actively at doing a brand refresh. You know, coming in, we've got a fresh set of people. We're looking at, for example, things like our color palette. Sure. We love the company name, love the logo, but there's a lot of things that, as we're starting to scale out, have more marketing partners, more industry partners, more customers, we're realizing, wow, probably need to formalize some things that weren't formalized before. Tone, voice, yep. how do we do iconography? So there's a whole creative side too where you know, you want things to look good too because it instills people both in marketing and the company with a sense of pride. No, that's something if, if you undertake it, I'd love to chronicle some of yeah. that. Yeah, we're doing fun. it right now. In fact, I think today we were looking at mood boards. Oh, um, yeah, that's The funny. second round of mood boards for color palette. That's fun. So, so let's think a bit about the future. What's yeah. What do you think is in store for the CMO role yeah. over the next several years how, how is it going to evolve so i'm biased obviously so first of all i think the cmo should always have for example bdrs reporting into their world that's one of the things i look for i've had it i have it here i have it last company if i look at and i say this with enormous respect for sales my father is a retired salesperson he'll put me through college so <laughs> love sales but typically speaking you know a lot of traditional salespeople are relationship sellers and this new world of data, and now, okay, how do we do account targeting? You know, what makes a good ideal customer profile? There are people out there who can do it, but they're in the minority. You know, if you think about like market segmentation, market strategy, that's really kind of been the ballywick of marketing people. You know, customer understanding, all those things. So I think there's a future where if you're gonna build a high velocity B2B sales and marketing engine, I think marketing is going to have more and more of the charter there. I think marketing has the BDRs. I think marketing is going to be much, much more involved in, wow, do we have the right sales stages? What's the criteria we use? I think, you know, 
you do run into very good sales. I, I mean, I came from Silicon Valley, so mm-hmm. my last role I was out in California in the Bay Area. They're even more biased towards sales tech because it's all happening out, you know, not all, but a lot of it's happening out there, a lot of it here. And you do run into good sales ops people, but typically speaking, most sales leaders are not tech people. They're just not. That's not the background they came from. So I think, you know, more of a unified sales and marketing tech, that's the way we're approaching it here is my last company, I was responsible, my team was responsible for unified sales and marketing tech strategy. So if I think forward, I think marketing will have an even larger place at the table in terms of what's going on revenue, how do we go out and target people, what are the lead qualifications, what's the marketing stages, what's, wow, we got to go build that pipeline. You know, and I think a lot of people's perception of marketing, and I, you know, it's like the old thing about, you know, the four views of what college is like, what my parents think about college, what I, you know, what my friends think college is, what college really, marketing's kind of going through that. You know, for some groups, marketing's like, oh, they throw great parties. You know, right. For other people, it's like, well, they do beautiful advertising. Right. Um, but what marketing really is about these days is revenue, data, technology, and customer understanding. And I don't think the perception of marketing necessarily is caught up. Like, I'll give my CEO credit. He is a, even though he's not a marketer, he has a very, very forward-looking view of marketing that more aligns closely with what I just said. And you know, I think some of that is a lot of people look at marketing differently than their disciplines. I mean, the thing that I've observed, I, I used to do blog posts at uh, two companies ago, internal blog posts, and I did one called The Joy and Tragedy of Marketing. <laughs> and um, the joy of marketing is marketing, unlike sales, unlike finance, unlike engineering, and I used to write software, marketing is the one discipline everybody's interested in. You know, you can show them ads, you can show them a website, you can show, and people are like... Everyone's an expert. Yeah, right, well, but that's the tragedy side is, you know, I joke, I mean, I worked at Microsoft 17 years. You used to have software engineers come up to you and critique your ads. And it's, I don't like the, I don't like the picture. And, you know, you get it. In fact, it's funny, I, I tell a story in one company. I had a very senior leader, great person, come into me one day and said, I think marketing's doing an amazing job. And I was like, why do you think that? He goes... Well, my wife and I were in Costco this weekend, and we saw the product packaging. This was a consumer B2C product. We saw the packaging for the product, and she just said it looked amazing. He goes, you guys are doing a great job. And I'm like, well, thank you. But, you know, and then you get into what I call the My Best Buy problem, which I've also run into, where somebody comes back from their visit to their Best Buy and goes, marketing's doing a terrible job. I went into the Best Buy this weekend, and they had no clue about our products. So I usually have to stop person. I said, you know, it's 1,300 Best Buys at that point in time. Did you go to any other ones? No, I didn't. So that's that's the joy and the tragedy. Drawing a conclusion based on yeah. one data point. Right, yeah. and you know, and I think, I hope, I see a lot of marketers out there, I have a lot of marketing people I'm friendly with in the community, CMOs at all levels. I do see a lot of marketing people really pushing towards the, hey, my job is revenue, my job is customer understanding, my job is accelerating revenue velocity. And I, I think particularly in B2B, you see that. You do see it in B2C as well. But, you know, you also see old school B2C, my job is doing advertising. In fact, we didn't talk about it, but one of the things I look for when I accept a marketing role, having done this four times, is you're really looking for, do you have the ability to have the levers? Mm-hmm. So, for example, I've had people approach me on roles where it's like, you're responsible for the brand demand gen, but you don't have product marketing. I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah. So you're telling me I'm responsible for the revenue and the brand, but, you know, basically, we can't message the products against that unless we just go agree with something, you know, somebody agrees. So I think you need the levers. That's why I think the 
uh, BDRs are important as well. It's the Bill Parcells line about, if you want me to make dinner, let me buy the groceries. That is a great line. I, I love that line by Bill Parcells. <laughs> that is a that's a good line. So, so are there any trends you're following that uh, in marketing in general that you yeah. think are kind of bubbling up? Yeah, there's a few. I think account-based marketing is very interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, people think it's one thing. It's really a continuum of things. We haven't done as much here, but as we start to go on behalf of our partners direct to small and medium businesses, I think as we get to the upper level called the 500 plus employee accounts, we're gonna start doing account-based marketing. And all I tell account-based mar- people is, account-based marketing is essentially, you wanna do some level of personalization and targeting. That could be at a vertical level, it could be at a company level, it could be at an individual person level. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really interesting. I think the quest for better data mm-hmm. is ongoing. You know, we were, you know, how do you make sure that what you have in your database is good? LinkedIn is a useful tool, but most people, as I point out, most people use LinkedIn for job searching, so they don't use work email on LinkedIn. And it's kind of becoming a, a, a spam. That, that is true, too. Know. But, you know, there's other tools out there, and we're looking, you know, one of the challenges with all the uh, regulatory privacy rules we're U.S. focused here, so we don't have to deal with the GDPR in Europe. My last company, we were like, oh, my God, GDPR is tying us up in knots. Yeah. But you have California and other states looking at similar rules. You know, How do you go out and basically build a customer list in a market segment where you think you provide value, but you don't have them in your database? How do you go do that? Do you, you know, Setting up a booth at a trade show is probably one of the least efficient ways to do it. But you know, we may all be forced to do that. Yeah, it's true. So I think those are interesting trends we're looking at. And then, of course, there's all the, you know, I don't know about you, but I get literally 20 solicitations a day. I think CMOs must be one of the most solicited people out there because everybody figured out the marketing people have budget, so they're all after us. I get 20 solicitations a day, you know, and I just, I used to be polite and try to reply, no thank you, now I just hit delete because it's just too much to keep up with. But there is interesting tech out there. And yeah. We try to keep an eye on it. And that's that's the problem when you get those solicitations like on LinkedIn. Yep. Some of them may be valuable, but there's just so many of them that come in that you just don't know what's good and what's bad. Well, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. One of the things that I'm fortunate about is having a tech background. You know, I have a comp sci degree and I was a software engineer. I have a healthy skepticism of technology having built it. I used to do componentized operating systems on multiple chip architectures. So I'm one of those people I don't believe. When people come in and say, oh, our, tech can, you know, our tech can solve all your problems, I'm, I start asking questions. You know, and you'll run into a lot of companies, oh, we use AI and we can give you perfect uh, accounts to profile. I'm like, well, how do you do that? Oh, we, we aggregate a bunch of data from a bunch of companies. Well, are those companies like us? Do they sell in similar industries, similar types? Of and the answer is more often than not, no. Yeah, we were interviewing on another podcast of mine, the Innovation Podcast. We were interviewing someone in the financial services area who de- deals with elder tech. Okay, really fascinating yeah. area. And we asked him, "Well, how do you do this? Do you use AI?" And he paused for a moment and said, "Well, you know, if I were talking to a VC right now, I'd probably say yes." You betcha. <laughs> but really, in reality, you don't need AI to do whatever the function was that he was. He was talking about and and you know he uses people yeah and real intelligence not artificial intelligence well it's funny my last company was uh, ai uh, enabled chatbots and the funny thing we were joking about is okay when is software not ai software because so many companies are 
you know, sticking AI in the end of the name. Especially chatbots. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and chatbots, not to go, because it's a whole different conversation. There's a wide continuum yeah. of capabilities. But, you know, we used to joke, boy, when is something not AI anymore? Because it's becoming rapidly the point where all software is AI, which is not true. You know, and the traditional notion of AI is software that learns by itself. That doesn't really occur. Yeah. Broadly speaking, anywhere in the world. It's like saying we've got an algorithm. Right. You know, it's right. just a marketing term more than a scientific right. or data term. And, the, you know, again, not to go too far in the rabbit hole, AI is always, to your point, algorithms and relevant data. That's why having a data corp, you know, a large data corpus is important. Right. You'll run into these startup companies and they have an algorithm, but they have no data. Right. And their whole, in fact, it's funny, in real time, one of the companies we're working with to do outsourcing services just asked me yesterday, can we aggregate your data into our data lake? And we'll, we'll come back and we'll give you value from it. I'm like, well, I don't think you're going to have many companies that are doing what we do in your data pool, so I'm not sure there's value for us. So what's your data lake going to do exactly. for you? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, Scott. Really I've enjoyed it. Yeah, really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Next time, Angel Hollis Vaccaro of Hux by Deloitte is here, so stay with us. This episode of Confessions of a Marketer was written, produced, and edited by yours truly, T. Jordan of A-Class Productions, wrote the theme music. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2019. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time.